0: Have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 is where we are going to be headed this morning as we continue our way through scenes and stories at the table in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 10. We'll be picking up in verse 38 towards the end of the chapter in just a moment. And so we've been looking through all of these stories, set at the table, and these table stories that we've been talking about are a huge theme throughout the Gospel of Luke. More than any of the other three Gospels, Luke shows us Jesus sitting at the table with people all the time. And as we've been reflecting on this for the past several weeks, we've seen that these meals are not merely social events. Uh, rather, I mean, they are that. They are social events, but they're more than that. Uh, They're deeply spiritual events. right? As Luke shares these stories about Jesus at the table with people, it's not just saying, hey, Jesus is a nice guy who likes to eat with people. But rather, this is a deep reality of the kingdom of God. Jesus gathers with people. All are welcome, and all will be filled. Jesus builds the kingdom of God one table at a time. And so today's passage does not explicitly occur around a table, but the context of this passage is certainly one of hospitality and welcoming. And implicitly, a meal is sort of referenced. A meal is implied by this story. And besides this, the story that we read today, I think, has much to tell us about what it means to be with others, whether at the table or anywhere else in life. And so let's read together and hear the word that God has for today. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, "'Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me.' "'Martha, Martha,' the Lord answered, "'you are worried and upset about many things, "'but few things are needed, or indeed only one.' Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that you came eating and drinking with sinners, tax collectors, Pharisees, with all people. God, I pray that as we consider your word for us today, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Mary and Martha, right? This is uh, the story that we're looking at today. Now, we've often read this story or heard this story as some kind of an object lesson, right? Uh, It sort of looks down on Martha and exalts Mary. Uh, I've I've heard it said before, right? Uh, Don't be a Martha, be a Mary. Um, And historically, many have read this allegorically in some way, uh, with Martha representing sort of worldly activity and Mary representing sacred devotion. Sort of this story is a a way of separating, you know, secular things and sacred things, on and on, so on and so forth, right? Uh, This is a way that we've heard this story, and there may be some value in some of these things, but to turn this story into a mere object lesson is very reductionistic. We do this far too often with all the stories we read in Scripture. And and reading it this way, I don't think digs nearly deep enough into the way that Luke tells the story. And so let's just walk back through this passage that we have just read and, and just reflect on it one character and one interaction at a time and see what there is to receive. And so it begins in verse 38. We are introduced to Martha, who opens her home to Jesus and his disciples. But before she is introduced, the story begins with a travel motif. I'll say more about that in a moment. But verse 38 begins, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way right? This is a travel motif. It's this theme, this, this recurring motif that occurs all throughout Luke chapter 10. Uh, and if we, we don't see the fullness of this passage, of what Luke is saying, if we don't consider this bigger context, and particularly this travel motif at the very beginning of Luke chapter 10, uh, the chapter begins with Jesus appointing and sending out 70 or 72 disciples to go ahead of him and announce the kingdom of God. Uh, and as they are on the way, he gives them these instructions. If You back up to verse 10. Jesus says to them, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. And if someone who promotes peace, or if a person of peace is there, well, then your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. But stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. But when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet is a warning to you. And yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Right, so, so these are the instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples. Hey, go out ahead of me and look for people of peace. And when you're welcomed, go on inside and join them, eat with them, sit around tables with them, right? This is what he says. And so his disciples go out and then they return and they celebrate all that has happened. So that's the first story we see in Luke chapter 10. The next story that we see uh, is uh, this person who comes up to Jesus and asks him, Hey, what does it mean to inherit eternal life? What does it mean to inherit eternal life? And so they talk about these great commandments of loving God and loving your neighbor. And then the man asks Jesus, So who is my neighbor? who's my neighbor? And Jesus responds by telling a story. The story that we know is the Good Samaritan. Now, this story also carries with it this travel motif, right? The story begins, a man is on the road traveling whenever he's attacked by people and left on the side of the road for dead. And then we encounter a few other people traveling on the road, Right? First, there's a priest who's traveling and comes by. And then there's a Levite who's traveling but passes right on by. And finally, there's the Samaritan who is traveling and stops and tends to the man on the side of the road and brings him somewhere to stay, somewhere to rest, somewhere to recover. And at the very end, Jesus asked the question, so which one of these was a neighbor? And of course, it was the one who helped. It was that Samaritan, right? And so these are the stories that come right before this story of Mary and Martha. And so throughout this whole chapter, the chapter began with the disciples heading out on the road to find people of peace, to welcome them in. Then Jesus tells a story about people passing by on the road and the Samaritan who was a good neighbor by showing care and hospitality. And the last story in the chapter, the story that we've just read, begins with that travel motif, that travel theme. One more time, Jesus and his disciples were on their way. And as they're on their way, What happens? Well, they come to a village where a woman named Martha opens her home. A woman named Martha opens her home to them. So they're traveling, and Martha welcomes them. And notice it's Martha's home. And Martha is the one who welcomes them which very likely indicates that Martha is the older sister. Mary's probably the younger sister. But Martha's the, the primary manager of the house, right? She is kind of the one in charge, and she welcomes them in. And so Luke introduces us to Martha as someone who, like those who we've seen before, he introduces to, uh, her to us as a person of peace, right? She is someone who opened her home and welcomed people. He introduces Martha as someone who is a good neighbor, who is a good neighbor, just like that Samaritan was a good neighbor, Martha opens her home. She extends hospitality to Jesus as he travels. And so as Luke introduces us to Martha, Martha is exemplary. She is an incredible example. She's a person of peace. She is a good neighbor. And so we would do well to be like Martha. It is good to be like Martha. After all these stories of traveling and welcome, Jesus and his disciples are traveling, and Martha welcomes them. That's how the story begins. So so Martha is not someone that we need to be looking down on or trying to stay away from. Martha is precisely the kind of person Jesus has been talking about and encouraging his disciples to look for and to be like. And then, in verse 39, he introduces us To Mary. In verse 39, he introduces us to Mary. She, Martha, had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now, this is an incredible statement, but we really don't hear the full force of it in our translation right? Uh, every single language, every single culture has its own kind of idioms and expressions, right? Uh, if I tell you, hey, I'm pulling your leg, what does that mean? I'm just kidding, right? I'm not actually pulling on your leg, right? Or if, if you know, someone is, if, if someone's giving you the cold shoulder, what does that mean, right? They're, they're ignoring you, right? They're not talking to you, right? Every culture has their little idioms, They're they're little expressions like that. There's another expression that we have that's a bit odd that we use every now and then, uh, in which we might refer to our alma mater. What does that mean? Well, first of all, it's in Latin, so I don't know what we're doing speaking Latin, but uh, literally it translates a nursing mother, an alma mater. Uh, But what do we mean when we say my alma mater? Right? We, we don't mean our mother who nursed us, we mean the school that I went to, right? It's where I, I went to school, it's where I, I had my education, it's my alma mater. Well, the, this ancient culture also had an expression for the place where someone received their education. Uh, they had an expression for learning and studying, Uh, this is an expression that Paul uses in Acts chapter 22, verse 3. Uh, He's defending himself before a crowd of Jews, and he says to them, hey, I am a Jew. I was born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but I, I was brought up in this city in Jerusalem, and I was at the feet of Gamaliel educated strictly according to our ancestral law, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. See, Gamaliel was a great teacher, well-known at that time. And Paul says, I sat at his feet. Now, Paul is not literally saying, I sat on the floor next to Gamaliel. Paul is saying, I studied under Gamaliel Gamaliel was my teacher. That's where I got my education. Gamaliel is Paul's alma mater, right? He sat at his feet. And this very same phrase is used in our passage in verse 39 of Mary. Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Literally listening to his word. We often, when we've read this passage, imagine Mary, you know, literally sitting at Jesus' feet, perhaps staring up at him with big, wide eyes or fawning over him or something like that. That's not remotely the image that Luke has here. Luke is saying that Mary has taken the posture of a disciple. Mary is a student along with the other disciples. She is listening to Jesus' teaching. She is learning from him. This is an incredible and significant statement. Uh, you know, we, we learn as we keep reading through the story that Martha is frustrated about something. And, and there are many reasons why she's frustrated, but perhaps one of the reasons why Martha is frustrated is not just that Mary's not helping her, but because of what Mary is doing instead. You see, uh, in in that ancient culture, there were all kinds of of boundaries and things that you should do and shouldn't do, kind of proper things around gatherings and meals and that sort of thing. I want you to imagine for a moment the, you know, late 19th century, early 20th century kind of dinner gathering, right? People would get together and, and hang out, they'd have dinner together, and then after dinner, they would retire, and, you know, the men would all go into the drawing room. And the women would all go into the parlor, right? And the men would, you know, smoke and talk about politics and current events and who knows what, uh, and women would do whatever women do in the parlor, right? And that's just how things were, right? There was, after dinner, people would, would go to their proper place, the men here and the women there, and that's very much what it was like in that ancient culture, right? Uh, The men gathered around, and they discussed, and they talked, and Jesus was teaching. Whereas the women would be in their own space, doing their own thing. In this case, Martha's preparing uh, probably food or drink or getting uh, rooms ready or or, or bedding ready if, if they're going to stay there for the night, whatever might be happening. And so perhaps, Martha is not only frustrated that Mary's not helping her, but Mary's in the wrong place. Mary's in the drawing room with the men instead of in the parlor with the women. And this is something that would offend anyone at that time, right? Uh, A a woman is not supposed to be studying, certainly not under a, a, a male rabbi. What's going on? And yet, by the end of the story, what we learn is is that Jesus is not upset at this. In fact, Mary is doing the best thing. Mary is doing the right thing. And so, as we read this, we learn that Mary has become a student. She has become a disciple of Jesus, and that Jesus actually welcomes women as disciples and, and followers right alongside the men. Who are learning. And, and the women are very much likely among the men as he sends them out and commissions them to go share this good news. We will learn in, in, in all of the Gospels that it is the women who first announce the ultimate good news of Jesus being alive again. This is a wild story that is upending all kinds of social conventions of that day. And yet, this is who Jesus is, gathering all people around the table. And so Martha is frustrated by what is going on. And let's look a little bit more at, well, what exactly was she frustrated by? What's what's going on? Verse 40 spells this out for us. It says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So she came to him, to Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. This verse begins by telling us what's a matter here. And what's a matter is not what Martha is doing. Uh, It's not a problem that Martha is getting things ready. But what it begins by is saying she was distracted as she was doing those things. It's not that Martha is doing the wrong thing and Mary is doing the right thing. But it's how are they doing the things that they're doing? Martha's distracted. And it makes me wonder, well, what is she distracted from? We know she's distracted by all of these preparations, but what is it that she's distracted from? I think Martha is distracted really from the hospitality that she initially had extended. The the story begins, she welcomes them, opens up her home, come on in. And somewhere along the way, she becomes distracted by all the, the details and forgets that real purpose of welcoming them. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about there being a difference between hosting someone and extending hospitality to someone. These are two different things, right? Hosting has to do with having all your details planned, all the things laid out. You've got food, you've got space, you've got everything ready. It's about what you have. But hospitality... It's not about what you have. It's about who you are and how you are. You can be hospitable no matter what you have. No matter where you are, we can be a hospitable people who are present and welcoming to the people in front of us. And Martha began with that hospitality and welcoming, but she has since become distracted. She's she's gone from being a hospitable person to merely a host trying to get all the things in order. It's not what she's doing that's a matter. It's it's how she is doing it. And and you can see this distraction by, by what she does, right? Instead of welcoming Jesus and joining him where he is, she begins to kind of complain to Jesus and asking him to, to join her where she is, right? She says, hey, you tell Mary to come over here and help me. She's starting to tell Jesus what to do. Right? She she has lost sight of, of what was really going on. And to be honest, I think the church has often wrestled with this very same thing. You know, at the beginning, we start off saying, Hey, God, what are you up to? Where are you in the world? I want to join you and follow you. But somewhere along the way, we get our nice lists of the things that we're doing and not doing and how we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. And then we ask God to come do the things that we've decided to do instead of pursuing God and joining him where he is. To always be open to, hey, what are you up to? How can I join you? We, We don't want to become distracted from ministry by our own ministry. And yet the church has often done that. May we continue to be present to who God is and what God is doing. And pursue that. So Mary has become distracted, and she talks to Jesus about this, tells him what to do, and finally Jesus responds to her. And his response is not really a a rebuke, but rather a reframing. It's an invitation back to that place of hospitality, back to that place of peace, out of anxiety and distraction. He says to her, Martha, Martha. I love that he uses her name, right? He's, he's talking directly to her. He, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Notice again, it's not about what she's doing. Jesus isn't saying, hey, you need to get out of there and come in here and listen. You're doing the wrong thing. That's not what he says. He says, hey, you are upset, and worried. You're distracted. It's not what you're doing, it, it's, it's how you're doing it that needs to be corrected, that needs to be reformed and, and reshaped, right? To, to To live from a place not of distraction, but attention. He's calling her to be present again. He says, you, "You've become worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one." There are many things that she is wandering around and, and doing, and that sort of thing. But but I think this is a a huge word for us today. What are the many things that we are worried about, upset? by. Distracted by. I mean, we live in a fragmented time. Uh, you know, we, never before in the history of the world has it been so easy to know so much. Uh, never before in the history of the world has it been, you know, so easy to be just bombarded by information and distractions uh, you know, one time a group uh, of of uh, students w- was doing this project. We were talking about kind of technology and all kinds of things. And as, as we were giving this presentation uh, back in grad school, we talked to the whole classroom. We said, hey, get out your phone. And perhaps, you know, what you would expect is you would say, hey, silence it because we're about to give our presentation. We actually told, told everyone, get out your phone and turn the volume all the way up and make sure that it's not in do not disturb mode, right? And then we gave our presentation. And we asked them to do that just to make it clear how many beeps, how many dings, how many buzzes happened. Because every time some notification came through, the whole classroom knew. And it just became so apparent. We are constantly being pulled at from every side. We're constantly being pulled this way and that way, on and on. You know, I I wonder, do you know, or are you more familiar with, you know, what's going on in, I don't know, Olympia, Washington, D.C., whatever else, than you are about what's going on with your neighbor? It's a lot easier to know what's going on in politics, or whatever the news happens to be about. Because that information is just coming at us. But it would be so much better to know your neighbor. What's going on, not across the world, but across the street? Maybe not even across the street, just right next to you. What's going on there? I mean, how often do you maybe sit down for dinner And you're anywhere but the table, right? You're thinking about the things that you did earlier that day, the things that you have to do tomorrow, on and on, instead of just being with the people who are next to you. We are worried and upset and distracted by many things. And so, as Jesus speaks to Martha, and invites her back to the present moment, perhaps he is also speaking to us and saying, "Hey, you've got so much on your mind. Come, come here to this moment, right here, right now I, we're, we're distracted by information and by tasks, but we're also just as distracted, even just by entertainment, right?" You know, you pull up Netflix and there's a million things to choose from. What, am, what is it going to be, right? And we immediately are starting to get stressed out and anxious and we're just trying to watch TV. We might do well to be bored sometimes. There's a great spiritual discipline for you. Be bored this week, right? That's a way of practicing simplicity, being present. We're constantly facing decision fatigue from all the choices that are constantly in front of us. We're constantly facing compassion fatigue from all of the stories of pain and suffering that we encounter each day. Jesus invites us to rest and to be present just to those that are right in front of us. We're worried and distracted by many things, but few things— are important, indeed, only one. And I love the very last thing that Jesus says. He says, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This can be translated in various different ways. Some translations say, Mary has chosen the best part. Or the, or the better part, or the best portion. And, and I think there's, there's maybe a play on words going on here that, again, we kind of miss in the translation. This word, um, the, the best part, or the best portion, that word portion can be a reference to a meal. It's a word that can be used to describe a portion of a, a serving of food. Uh, It's often used to describe uh, offerings that would have been made at the temple or something like that, Uh, a a portion that's offered to the Lord. And so he says, Mary has chosen the best portion. Uh, Perhaps another way of translating this, Mary has chosen the better meal. Mary has chosen the better meal. You see, Martha is perhaps preparing a meal for everyone, but Mary has chosen the better meal. It makes me think of uh, what Jesus says elsewhere in the midst of his temptation, uh, referencing back to Deuteronomy. We do not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he's not saying we don't need bread. He's saying we don't need bread only. We need words from God. And here we have a story of one person perhaps preparing some bread and someone else receiving words from the Lord. It's not either or, but both. And Mary has chosen the best meal. The best bread, the bread of the Word. And so here's, I think, the invitation for us as we go from here. The invitation for us as we consider this story. Everywhere we go, every day that we live, there are always two meals set before us. There's the meal of the things that we need to get done the actual food that we eat, the things that that we're uh, wrestling with or thinking about or or learning. But then there's that other meal, the the meal that says, hey, what is God doing in the midst of this? Where, Where is the word of God in this moment? And we don't have to choose one meal or the other, but we're invited to partake In both. The meal that Martha prepares, and also the meal that Mary hears. Let us receive both of these meals. Let us live deeply, not distracted, but present in every moment. May it be so. Amen.